Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Market View on Money FM 89.3. That's right, you're listening to Money FM 89.3 and it's now time for Market View where we take a look at how the Singapore stock market is likely to close for the day, the biggest movers, sectors and companies to watch. But as always, a quick recap of how we started. Well, Singapore shares were poked into the positive territory today after stock markets in the US and Europe ended mostly higher overnight. In early trade, the Straits Times Index was up 0.3% after some 54 million securities changed hands in the broader market. The numbers on the SGX are still firming up, but here's what I have on my screen. The Straits Times Index up 0.46% at 3,087 points. In terms of value turnover, that's 892 million Sing dollars. Now, gainers outnumbered losers, 300 versus 273. Top five movers by value we have here UOB, DBS, Capital Core, OCBC and GMHUSD. And heavily traded securities included Seatrim, Yangtzejiang Shipbuilding, Sing Dollars and Genting Singapore. Now in terms of companies to watch for today, we do have IHH Healthcare. The main bot listed firm reported earnings of some 532 million ringgit or around 150 million Sing dollars for the third fiscal quarter ended September and that is more than double the earnings in the corresponding year ago period. Now, meanwhile from Capital Land Escort Trust, Fraser's Centerpoint Trust, Golden Agri Resources Capital DC REIT and Suntech REIT added to the STI Reserve List to more on Shengxiong and Court Life Group. Local headlines remain in focus today and joining me on the line is Sunny so, lead technical analyst, capital markets and investor education at SIAS. Sunny, welcome. Hi, Tian Thanks for having me back. Hey, great to have you. And let's start with the usual, Sunny. How did the STI fare so far today, given two things? One is the latest October PCE price index numbers. And the second part has to do with OPEC uh, oil producers agreeing to uh, deepen voluntary oil output cuts. No formal cuts, though. Yeah, so I'm still seeing the same figures as what you reported earlier. SCI is looking good today, up about 0.46%. This is after the Dow Jones Index jumped about 1.47% last night. But for the week, for STI, we are still down about 0.3%. This is compared to the Dow Jones Index, which advanced about 1.58% so far mm. for this week. So the interest rate optimism in U.S., uh, that we may no longer see an interest rate hike this year from the US Fed is not really being felt here in our local markets. Mm. So that's a bit of a strange thing that's happening over here. Maybe we are a bit lax over there. But on the uh, latest October PC price index, uh, the year-on-year figure came in at 3%, which is a 0.4% lower than the previous reading. And on the core PC price index, which excludes the more volatile food and energy prices and also the Fed favorite gauge, for inflation, rose just 0.2% compared mm. to the 0.3% rise last month. These are both uh, figures showing that the inflation numbers are coming down. And on an annual basis, uh, core PC price index came in at 3.5%, slightly softer pace than the 3.7% we saw in September. So with all these figures showing that inflation in the US is coming down and under control, the Fed will likely be on hold for now and their pivot to the rate cut next year is getting closer and closer. And on the OPEC plus agreeing to deepen voluntary cuts output, uh, totaling about 2.2 million barrels per day for early next year. This was led by Saudi 
Arabia rolling over its uh, current voluntary cut. And mm. global uh, oil price benchmark settled down yesterday in part because reductions were voluntary and not binding, not formal like you mentioned. And investors' expectation ahead of this meeting was that the additional supply cut might actually be deeper. So there's a bit of relief there from the markets that we may not see deeper cuts going into next year, going forward. And oil price should now uh, currently stabilize around the current levels. Mm, right. And I do want to take a look at some big movers today. We'll talk a little bit about court life, but let's take a look at IHH Healthcare. Quite good earnings there for the third fiscal quarter ended September. We are talking about 532 million ringgits, 152 million Sing dollars, which is more than double the earnings in the corresponding year ago period. How would you read into this? Yes, so very good news there for IHH shareholders. Third quarter net income more than doubled uh, from a year ago period. For the cumulative nine-month period of this year, they also posted a higher net profit of 2.22 billion ringgit from 1.36 billion ringgit a year ago. Revenue also increased uh, from uh, 13 billion ringgit to 15 billion ringgit as more patients were seen on higher revenue and intensity across all their markets. Net income also more than doubled, like you mentioned, boosted by excellent uh, operational growth from higher patient volumes. Their third quarter EBITDA, which is uh, interesting to look at, which is the earnings before interest, tax and depreciation, uh, increased by 42% year on year. The increase in this EBITDA was mainly driven by higher revenue, cost management and a credit adjustment in Q3 relating to the applications of Malaysian financial reporting standards. So the net operating income, the bottom line, which reflects the core performance, was up 17%. And the, the group actually said that to meet the growing healthcare needs and demands from the region, IHH uh, organic growth trajectory is set to significantly be enhanced by an increase in the bid capacity of more than 30% to close to 4,000 bids over over the next five years. So things are looking uh, pretty positive for IHH uh, Healthcare Group right now. Mm. And I do want to take a look, Sunny, at Court Life Group, at this company making the news uh, yesterday and much of today as well. Near an all-time low today on news that it was issued a notice to stop collecting new court blood and human tissue for six months. Now, when we look at this at a financial standpoint, um, when it comes to top and bottom lines, what does it all mean for Court Life Group? Yes, so looking at the uh, top line, bottom line, I look at the numbers as well. So the news was uh, reported that they, uh, there was a damage for to about at least 2,150 uh, uh, cord blood units yeah. for their clients. And this accounts for about 12% of their 17,000 cord blood unit storage. So I think that will have a pretty significant impact on their um, their revenue going forward or even their profits. Uh, the company has apologized and will work diligently to regain their client trust. And they also said that uh, they will waive all future storage fees for these uh, damaged uh, cord blood cells. So they will still have to carry the cost of maintaining the cord, this cord blood for their clients until their child turns 21. And on top of that, they cannot collect the revenue. I think this is the main reason that the stock is down 30%. At this mm. moment, I think MOH may, may, may still need to uh, come, may come in with further uh, investigation or regulation with the balance of their, their uh, cord blood unit storage tanks. So that is the worry now that we have uh, on uh, cord blood group uh, share price. And that's the key reasons the stock is down 30% today to around 31.5 cents. Right. Uh, staying in Singapore, Asani, we've got five counters, most of them the REITs, right? Capital Land, Escort Trust, Fraser Centerpoint Trust. 
uh, Capital DC REIT, Suntech REIT, and then there's Golden Agri Resources. The five of them have been added to the STI reserve list. Now, what does it mean to be added onto the reserve list? Who will they likely replace? And what is then the impact of any of such replacements? So basically, they are on the, on the substitute bench to replace any of the counters which may have uh, fall in a market cap or may have not uh, satisfied the rule of being in the uh, STI uh, index uh, constituents. So you can see four out of the five counters are the REITs or the business trust, the property-related counters. So this may suggest that if there is a replacement, STI will become more heavily weighted towards the REITs or property sector. And we know that REITs and property sector this year, I would say, especially the REITs, are a lot of investors are worried about their high gearing levels and the high interest rate environment that we are in now. But going forward, if they are included in the index, that means that the index will be more sensitive to interest rate changes. And looking forward, if let's say the interest rate were to go down next year, the upside should the interest go down will also be factored in into the STI index. So who will they replace? Let me have a look at uh, my screen right now. I see that Venture Corp and SETS were mm. the two counters that have the least market cap right now. Venture Corp being uh, the tech-related counter a highly, yeah. in the highly leveraged sector. Their value has dropped quite a bit. I think in the beginning of the year, the share price was around $18 and the latest share price is around $13. So a $5 uh, drop for an $18 stocks. So this is uh, why the market cap of a venture may have come down to a level that may be lower than uh, one of these five counters and they may be replaced. On sets, of course, this year, their news was a big major acquisition. I think uh, for that acquisition to really synergize and bear fruit and have an impact on sets balance sheet and and then after that on the uh, reflected in the share price, it will take some time and maybe a few years to come. So these are the two likely counters that will be replaced by the five counters. And... The, the REITs, right, are very stable and very defensive and pay regular dividends uh, kind of a instrument. So the additional of this counter to the STI reserve list, I, be, I believe is a positive development for the index. Mm. And this will make the index uh, more diversified and less volatile because REITs are defensive in nature and pay regular dividends. So it will be a more representative of the broader Singapore stock market. Right. If you're just tuning in, we're now in conversation with Sunny So, Lead Technical Analyst, Capital Markets and Investor Education at SIAS. Uh, meanwhile, Sunny, let's take a look at this. Sheng uh, Xiong Group Supermarket Operator Analysts, they see the increasing supply of BTO flats as a catalyst for the firm as well as other supermarket operators. What's your take on, on this topic? I think it is, it's, it's very normal because with, yeah. the, with more uh, BTO cluster, increasing supply of BTO flats, we always see uh, Sheng Xiong and of course NTUC being amongst uh, the most uh, commonly seen supermarket around the uh, BTO cluster. Mm. So this, is, with more outlets, definitely it will mean more sales for Sheng Xiong Group. And Sheng Xiong Group, uh, like I said, is also the one of the defensive counter also, whether the economy is doing well, whether we go into COVID, even with when we go to COVID period, Sheng Xiong actually perform even better. Yeah. And if we go into a recession next year, okay, which is uh, now still an unlikely scenario, yep. then um, it will be seen as people will be uh, eating out less and spending out less. They may be cooking more at home and hence uh, the sales numbers of the revenue of Sheng Xiong Group will also increase. So with more outlets in uh, this BTO supply, so they are plugged into this trajectory of the, uh, the increase in supply in BTO flats as well. It's mm. slightly a, a catalyst as with much of the analysts have said that uh, it's slightly that if they have open more shops in this um, BTO cluster, revenues of Sheng Xiong is likely going to increase and thereby the stock price and uh, the, the outlook projection of Sheng Xiong is likely going to be positive in the next few years. 
Right. And, you know, before we let you go, Sunny, let's take a look at what's happening in the U.S., right? If we look at um, a survey by returns services firm GoTRG, it surveyed 500 executives at 21 major retailers, including the big names Walmart and Amazon.com. More U.S. retailers, they're telling customers to, you know, keep the e-commerce purchases particularly those that cost more to ship back than they're actually worth. Your thoughts on what this says about the U.S. retail landscape right now? I mean, firms are facing high inflationary pressures to begin with. Yes, on top of the high inflationary pressures, we talked about the workers' strike as well yeah. uh, last Friday. And now we are looking at um, them telling the customer not to return their purchases due to the cost of uh, shipping it back. So we, we have to go dig, dive deeper into this issue, whether the return cost is bare by the e-commerce platform itself or by the people or by the, the business that sell on the e-commerce platform. So there's also a concern whether a customer might exploit this, knowing yeah. that if they purchase some low-value items and they may not be asked to ship back and hence they can... Uh, just uh, fraudulently declare that the goods are damaged or they may not receive them. So I think the e-commerce platform really needs to have a, a system in place to, to guard against this and to verify whether those claims by the uh, customers that they are, they are their goods received are damaged or not received can be verified accordingly before uh, asking the customer to keep the purchases. So this is a concerning issue amongst all the, um, the other issues, the high inflationary pressures, as well as the strike, uh, their delivery workers strike in Europe. So there are a lot of concerns there for the e- e-commerce platform uh, businesses to consider right now going to going to next year. So I think uh, this may have uh, some impact on their bottom line, but it depends on how they execute this uh, to, to guard against fraudulent claims or, or fictitious claims that their goods that they ship out are damaged and do not require customers to send them back. Hmm. And just to follow up, if we look at the retail scene in the US, um, brick and mortar stores as well, do you think they'll start to implement a no returns policy, uh, no refund policy in particular, especially when you know firms' top and bottom lines are being eaten into by high inflationary pressures, consumers are not spending as much? Will there be a change in terms of such policies then? I think brick and mortar stores are a different operating model. Firstly, yeah. if you go to a brick and mortar store to make purchases, definitely it can be somewhere around our, the, vicinity, the vicinity that we are, the customers are staying near to. Mm. Hence, returning the product is uh, on the cost of the customer to bring the product back to the brick and mortar store. But for e-commerce platform providers, they are operating out from their warehouses, which may not be in the in the uh, customer's vicinity or even be in an overseas, plat- uh, overseas country warehouse. So the return-wise, is, it's not like when we are shipping out the goods, we can be collated and then after distributed according to the different zones that they are tagged to. It's an individual return, hence the return cost is very high. Mm-hmm. So I think it's not a worry for brick and mortar operators to get customers to return their goods back. But it's a, it's, a, it's a matter of concerns for e-commerce retailers to look into this problem. Right. Thanks a lot, Sunny. That was Sunny So, Lead Technical Analyst, Capital Markets and Invest Education at Sias. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.